welcome back to another episode of Filmcraft. This is great, Latif and I get to do two in one day because I'm finally in a place where there's mostly reliable internet. <laughs> yeah, in Chiang Mai. Yeah, Chiang Mai is awesome, by the way. I yeah. really, really, really like this. Um, we're in Old Town or Old City. I can't remember which one it's called. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of great stuff here. We did a, an excursion where we went to go spend the day with elephants and they're like, it's all ethical and everything. So there was like, they're a giant free roam. They live on a mountain. We hiked up the mountain and followed them and then fed them and gave them a mud bath and shit like that. Very white people thing to do. <laughs> Definitely. But so it, was, it was great. Uh, yeah, we're headed off to Laos in a couple of hours. So just mm. enough time to squeeze a podcast in. Nice, nice. Yeah. So what are we talking about today, Latif? We're talking about the pace that a movie sets and kind of breaking up different parts of a film from like talking to action sequences and how to do it effectively. Yeah, and then you're going to give us a master class in montages because you are notoriously excellent at them. For what we don't say, for example, and even in party stories, like they were, those sections were written as montages, mm-hmm. but they were kind of loosely written. Like we knew how we were going to film them and what they would come out to be. But if, I bet if you look on the page compared to what the finished product is, it's not really quite the same. Like mm-hmm. I remember what we don't say, I, uh, it's a, fair, a sequence at a fair. They're just on a date, having a good time kind of thing. So I wrote like, fair dash them playing games dash them getting a hot dog or whatever and then mm-hmm. we just went and shot a whole bunch of stuff mm-hmm. i remember the first time you showed me the montage it's like yep yeah, that's great and i think we only changed a couple seconds of it from that first iteration of the montage to mm-hmm. what the movie is now yeah i mean it's it's so improvised too so i, th- I think mm-hmm. that'll be interesting to look at cool so like we mentioned, it, it was very loosely written on the page. We knew we were going to go to, we'll use what we don't say for an example. We knew we were going to go to a fair. We were just going to shoot them doing a whole bunch of stuff, and then we are going to cut it together later. So when you sat down to cut it, did you even look at the script? Or you're like, I don't need this. I'm just looking at the footage. Here's a song. Let's cut it together. No, I, I didn't really look at the script because I, I figured it would be pretty bare. And I, I already knew what all the kind of fun pieces would be in the footage. So it was just combing through and finding little moments that felt like they would be nice. And, uh, you know, eventually getting like the pace and cutting the music, I mean, cutting it to the music once we had a, a, a piece of music for it, because it's tough to do that without actual music behind it. So I think I had some temp music under it just to give us the feeling. So how much different is it cutting a montage when you're the cinematographer and you shot it all versus if someone just came to you they're like, here's a bunch of footage we shot, can you montage this? Well, I, I guess because I'm, I shot it, I'm, I, I, I kind of know what what's going to work really well just because like on the day you get that feeling because we didn't rehearse mm-hmm. the montage stuff. We just went in and picked like a bunch of different areas and improvised all the all the stuff that we did 
so you kind of find the nice moments here and there and then there's a bunch of stuff that's like useless so I kind of knew what what I felt was gonna work on the day so when we sit down and cut it together I automatically go to the pieces that I that I know are gonna work and then you know if I didn't shoot it, it it's gonna be looking through everything like I look through all the footage to make sure mm -hmm. I'm not missing anything and kind of just cutting it to music and, and obviously avoiding shots that don't look good or, or shot poorly. Was there anything that popped out at you for the footage we had where you're like, I definitely can't use this. This looks like total trash or something's off here. I mean, yeah, because it's so improvised and I was handheld for all of it. And I was using a camera that I wasn't 100% familiar with too. I was shooting mm -hmm. the montage stuff on the A7S. Uh, the stuff at the actual fair mm -hmm. because we shot another day at like a carnival game area with the FS5 yeah. so those two days were it, cut together was it significantly easier to shoot with our camera compared to the other one? yeah just because I felt more comfortable but you know ev even with the uh, A7S and me kind of like wandering around the fair with them and improvising there are times where it goes out of focus or there's like this ND filter thing on the front of the lens where you had to twist it and it would kind of change the gradient of the ND and it was I, very confusing because I just pulled the camera out of the bag and started shooting with it like I didn't really have time to prep it mm -hmm. so you know I'm surprised and happy with what we got because it turned out to be really nice but it could have just been complete dog shit too if something went wrong. <laughs> so, uh, you know, pleasantly surprised in post, but it, it wasn't trying to make sure that we we're getting what we could. But there's like camera bumps, out of focus stuff, you know, stuff that's just not interesting. And obviously, all that stuff we just left on the floor. So, so when you start cutting together these montages, what's the main thing you're looking for? Like, I know you were pretty. We worked very in depth together on this movie so before we even went there like you don't need to read a script for it or anything you know exactly what we're going for mm -hmm. but when you sit down to cut it whether it's our movie or another's what are you looking for to make the montage effective in general like most kind of standard montages that we expect are to music and have a certain mm -hmm. kind of uh speed to them they're they're always a little faster or they're always maintained by like a consistent camera move like a push or something or some are just kind of like jumbled together kind of like how we did because we do have mm -hmm. just shots of them doing stuff at the fair but we you know we extend it out sometimes and have just moments of them talking or interacting that aren't cut to like a, a certain tempo they're just more like they live in in their own moment for maybe a, a little longer than what the music is dictating so it was really about like finding that kind of freedom to like, hey, where can we leave this moment in the sequence without having it to obey the rules of the music? And we did that when they were in that glass house and kind of like wandering around and talking to each other. We also did that when they jumped onto the Ferris wheel. We just decided to leave that shot and then at the end jump back into the montage. So, you know, we, we broke the rules a little and tried different things, but I think first it's about picking the shots that are worth it because oftentimes what I see in a montage that to me kind of makes it not work is just shots of things that shouldn't be there 
or just like a shot just because you need to fill space. I think every shot is crucial, so you've got to pick the best shots to put into the montage. And if you just pick you something, give, you know, to fill space, it doesn't really work. Could you give an example of that? Whether it, it doesn't have to be from a movie, but you could make up an example if you wanted to, just to give the audience like a, here's maybe what you want to avoid type of shot. So there's like a sequence of an apple being prepared to serve to someone. Or, you know, it could be a cup of coffee. And you can start with putting the cup down and then adding the coffee and the milk and the sugar and you stir it and you put it on a saucer and give it to the person. And then for some reason, some camera guy got B-roll of someone washing the saucer, which doesn't really have anything to do with the sequence of serving the coffee, but you decide to add it in because you have that footage because it fits in a block. So that's an example of like, you take something that's not really necessary, but I guess it's kind of connected to the thing you do and you plug it in there just to fill it in a space and oftentimes if you look at a montage there's all be there will usually be little pieces or little shots of things that are kind of relevant but not really not really important they're just really more space filling and i think mm -hmm. when when montages are really effective it's when you've gotten the best moments because there are a lot of moments in you know the what we don't say fair montage that we didn't use that could have been used but we decided mm -hmm. to use the things that we liked the most. As I remember there's this one moment where uh, Cougar is in a go-kart and he's kind of like driving by <laughs> and he just looks ridiculous like turning the wheel and it's not really doing anything. And I always thought it was funny. So I put mm -hmm. it into the montage and every time we see it we both laugh. It's just one of those moments that we're like, oh, that has to go in. We like that moment. Yeah, he looked like such an idiot driving that car. <laughs> yeah, because he was going straight, but he was turning his wheels both ways. And we're like, what is he doing? <laughs> um, but, you know, it was just like little moments like that we that we thought were fun. It kind of showed like the, the point of the whole sequence, like them having like fun and being a little goofy. Yeah, so I guess like a, a good example of that. Actually, I think there's an example within it of an example what to do and what not to do. So there's one part right at the end or in the middle of it, they're waiting in line to go on a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. And we have this dialogue exchange. It's, you know, he's nervous. She's just ripping on him the entire time. And it's a scripted scene. Um, so it works in there. But if you were to, if there wasn't an intent to have that in there and we just film them waiting for another ride and they're just kind of like, oh yeah, you know, it should be fine. Yeah. And the mm -hmm. guy's like, all right, you two are up. And they go up and they get on the ride. That would just be dead weight within it. Like, I think because we had that scene scripted, there was a point to it. And it led to the payoff of them actually going on this roller coaster. Then it made it work. But again, if it was just kind of nonsense, them waiting, nothing really happened, then it would be dead weight like you were talking about. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So how, when you're cutting these things together, how much do you keep the emotion of it in mind? Like, I think it, it seems like it was at the forefront of your mind when you were cutting this one together because we knew what we needed to relate to an audience. You know, they're on a fair, it's a date, they're having a good time. But if you were cutting something else together, like, I don't know, say, a horror montage, would emotion be at the forefront of your mind? What would be the thing you're trying to bring to the front of the screen the most? Well, I feel like with a montage you want to aim for the most effect 
that you're trying to go for. So whatever emotion or feeling that you're trying to convey with the montage, you want to make sure that's at the maximum effect by the time people end that sequence. Because there's, you know, you could get like a montage of whatever, and by the end of it feel like, wow, you know, that felt kind of long. There's, they could have gone through that pretty quickly. You know, there's music and everything, but like it was kind of boring. You want to make sure that you're going for the most impact with the montage because it's a tool that you can use in your film that can, you know, be pretty powerful. And picking the right music, making sure the the cuts match the timing. You're not like offbeat or, or like cutting in the wrong moments. Also making sure that it, all in all it makes sense. Like when you watch it from stop, from uh, top to to the end, that it's a complete sequence. It's not just like a bunch of sh shit thrown together. It, it has to kind of make sense by the time you get to the end of it. And even with our montage, by the time you get to the end of that sequence, um, it feels like it's a complete day. Like they've kind of done everything they were supposed to at the fair. Like you see them go on the rides, they're um, going through the fair, they're playing games together. And by the end of the sequence, they're heading home together, but it's still kind of connected. Um, mm hmm so it's all it's all about like still telling that story and not just about like um throwing stringing a bunch of shots together cuz um even with uh you know party stories when when we threw that montage into the thing it was supposed to be about like the most um intense part of the the movie like they're getting really really shit-faced they're <laughs> everyone's drinking they're doing beer bongs they're dancing they're just out of it and that was kind of the point of that sequence and i, I think that's kind of what we uh went for yeah yeah totally and i think like call back to last episode one thing that or the thing that works the most about it is both of them feel very intentional it wasn't like we had a a gap in the movie we're like oh what the fuck are we gonna do here or we had a scene that wasn't working and it's like can we just cut this into a montage instead mm -hmm. they were both very planned and it was like we're gonna do something here there's gonna be very little dialogue passage of time just straight emotion show them getting along or show them partying whatever the intent was but it was intentional um yeah yeah for sure even one thing yeah sorry go ahead no no you go yeah, even in Crazy For You, there's a montage sequence at the beginning and end of the film, but they're put together in a different way where it's not deliberately supposed to feel like a montage. It just kind of like floats you through different environments in the in the world. Like there's shots of the van driving through different parts of the city, and then it kind of like resolves into a scene. But the point of that montage was to take you from where you are to somewhere very different. And it was like we started off in a really nice neighborhood and the scene, um, the montage sequence ends with the van kind of like a very ab abandoned industrial area. And mm -hmm. even though it's short, kind of quick, um, it still gives you like a beginning and an end. It takes you somewhere through the journey. It's not just something put together without any like changes uh made at the end of it yeah and i think that's like the biggest thing for a montage you would never do it unless you were looking to change something in the story like 
for you've just mentioned crazy for you for party stories it's them going from being kind of sober to not sober at all and then uh what we don't say it's to show that they're actually really hitting it off they're getting along they're starting to fall for each other kind of thing Mm -hmm. and all those things need to happen like if you took those out of the movies they wouldn't be the movies they are it adds to them quite a bit um one question i have for you or thought i'm going to throw at you and it actually leads really well into the pacing talk is I was listening to an interview with Quentin Tarantino the other day, and you remember the opening scene in Inglorious Bastards, the Hans Landa and the Jew family under the floorboards, that whole thing? Mm-hmm. That goes on for a really long time, right? So yeah. the interviewer's question was like, how do you know when a scene is holding? How do you know when you've gone on for too long? How do you know if it's too short? How do you know when it's just perfect? And Tarantino is like, honestly, like you just feel it. If you're reading it or if you're watching it and it's like, oh man, I'm really sick of watching this scene. I wish it was over. Then you've gone on too long. It's just a gut feeling. And I think that one thing that's interesting about the what we don't say montage is it's actually kind of three mini montages broken up by two scenes in the middle. Like we have them getting along. Then I believe the roller coaster discussion before they go on it, the actual roller coaster ride, them get them another montage of them kind of getting along, then the Ferris wheel thing that has dialogue, and then finishing the montage. And I think that's very unusual, but going back to pacing, it's something that I think we asked ourselves a bunch of times like, is this still working? And every time we watch it, it's like, I think that. It's not overstaying its welcome. We're still enjoying watching these characters do these things. And by the end of it, it feels complete. It doesn't feel like it dragged out or doesn't feel like, oh man, you know, why are they getting along so well? They really didn't do too much and it wasn't too short in that way. So what's your advice for cutting a montage in terms of pacing? How do you know when it's perfect? How do you know when it's too long, too short, that kind of thing? There's kind of a sweet spot where where it's just like, it, it hits all the right notes I think when it's too long everyone's, everyone starts to shift a little you kind of know mm-hmm. um, and if it is too long you've got too much stuff in there you've, you've got to start removing some stuff but I, I guess it depends on what's the purpose of the montage because you know you've got that classic guy who has no skills goes through the montage and by the end of the montage he's some sort of a master at what he's doing um, mm-hmm. which is you know kind of a generic thing but there's there's got to be progression through it um and i think you've got to give equal weight to each stage of it you can't show him like do one push-up and then uh, a few cuts later he's just like ripped it's gotta be like you know (laughs) progression there's got to be like lots of failure before you see any success and from there there's got to be more challenge before you see him plateau where he's like he's got he's got to a level where he's comfortable now um and and even you know to play devil's advocate you can you can make a montage comedically for example where maybe you see this guy training and training and training by the end of the montage he still sucks and it was just kind of like that's true you use the montage as like a way to maybe show that he's attempting something but in in a comedic way by the end of it he's still like super shitty at whatever he's trying to do um, so you know there's another way to use a montage but I, I think when you're doing it you've got to know that um, it needs to warrant it 
I think if you insert a montage into something and it doesn't really feel like it needs it in general, that's going to have like a negative effect too. So making those decisions about like, you know, how do I ramp it up? How do I like tell a story through it? And at, at the end of the whole thing, how do I make sure that it's necessary is really, I, I guess, based on what the story is telling you it needs. Because like I, I don't write montages like in a script like montage here and I do that kind of list thing um, mm. when I when I write scripts even for like crazy for you for the, like the truck montage thing I just wrote it as scene header you know exterior fancy neighborhood uh, cargo van drives through the neighborhood simple as that and then the next scene header and I and I write it pretty pretty straight out but I think if you're going to do a montage you should know well ahead what's its purpose yeah yeah I totally agree I think one of the worst positions you could end up in with a montage in the editing room is looking at it and being like we do not have what we need here and you end up say actually yeah let's do this as a hypothetical if someone's in an editing room right now and they're trying to pull off montage they know they don't have the footage they need it's going to be really short and it's not going to quite get the effect they had in mind across would you recommend like just putting it in anyways or just cut that out of the movie I think my recommendation would be to try to cut it down because my, you know in general like I, I personally haven't seen something where I thought like a montage was just like completely unnecessary because a lot of times what a montage is doing is it's speeding time up it's cutting mm-hmm cutting down large amounts of time that you don't want to watch anyways into like really kind of bite-sized moments that you can take in so already it's kind of cutting things down into a smaller capsule so if you're going to have a montage make sure that you're efficiently doing it to show time passing in a way that makes sense um so in general the 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 purpose of the montage is to take you through several moments in a very quick way but I think uh, you know if you if you use a montage and it feels like you've stretched time, that's probably a bad thing. <laughs> so, stretched it in in the worst way. I mean, not in like the good way. Um, if 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 it feels like longer than it should be, then that's probably a bad thing. So I think it's just about like knowing what the purpose of it at that point is. You know, someone like you know a writer who sits down to write like his first chapter is novel you get like shots of him writing and like paper and like a pen dropping and all this shit by the end of the montage he's like page one and like well you could have just gone to like chapter one finished and then it would have (laughs) saved you a lot more but you know who who knows like you've got to be the judge of that when you when you've got your film in front of you i guess all right so last question about montages is it (laughs) is it pronounced montage or montage well it's originally from the french word le montage Mm. which means the cut so i'd refer to the french but keeping in mind that we stole the shit out of that word (laughs) true and we changed it too (laughs) it it means something else pacing um how much do you think about pacing while writing or editing 
Or is it something like we just mentioned that Tarantino example? Do you just kind of feel it out? Um, a little bit of both. I think I do like to write to indulge myself a little to make sure that I'm getting the most out of a scene or out of a conversation. But I do think it's important to know when things are just going on too long. And you you probably need another person to tell you at that point because sometimes we're not the best judges of like if something is too long or if we've gone too far with something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty fair. For me, it's always like, I swear I have this little, I don't want to say demon on my shoulder, but I'll use that for lack of a better term, where if I'm, it's sometimes during writing, if I get to, I don't know, like page five, I'm like, why is this scene so long? Then I'll start trimming it down. But it's usually once a scene's written, if I go back and just kind of skim it over, I'm like, that scene was eight pages. Why the fuck is that eight pages? I don't want this to be eight pages. Yeah. <laughs> like there's something in me that's just like, hey, man, you, you really messed up. This is going to be really boring to watch. You should make it not boring. I'm like, yeah, that's a good call. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I know for me, in terms of writing, it's mostly intuition. And one thing that actually I find really brings out if the pacing is bad or if there's something off about the pacing before you get into production, it's table reads. And they're, in my opinion, good for a lot of things. One of the biggest being dialogue. You can really, especially if you have your actors cast already, you can hear the words in their voice and make adjustments. But if you're at a table read and it's all actors there that are either in on the project or you know they're just happy to be there because you know actors acting and table read is a form of that and you see people like start to yawn or look around during a scene it's like okay something's off here they're bored why are they bored i gotta fix this yeah Did, did you do any table reads for crazy for you i did actually i I did one I did one right before we went into production, but uh, it you know it's like twenty five pages, so it went by so quick. But it it was kind mm-hmm. of useful. But I think it's hard to tell pacing wise how things were going because it was so quick. I think it's yeah, it's, it gives you a better sense with a feature when you do a table read of like how fast things are going and if something is dragging or or if it's going too fast or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I had a table read for a script that I had, I had written after we did uh, What We Don't Say. And it, it's a script that we hadn't made yet, but I remember it's the first time that I felt a different note on pacing. So the script is largely this woman is going out into the world and exploring things she's never uh experience before and she's learning about different ideologies and viewpoints of you know various cultures and stuff like that so there's a lot of her learning in the script um and as far as scripts go i would say that that's the closest to a home run that i'm ever going to get on first draft like it's a fucking solid first draft but i remember being at the table read and since there's so much of her taking in information and learning and gaining knowledge in it. There was a couple scenes where it's her and another person. The other person is, you know, telling her these things that she's learning. And there wasn't enough back and forth between the lead character Mm -hmm. and the person 
I'll call them the educator in the scene, even though they're not really educators. Uh, and it was a lot of just the educator, like giving information for maybe even just like a page. But I remember thinking like, okay, it's been about 45 seconds since I had heard anyone except this character talk. And it's strange because in terms of pacing in the general script, like scene to scene, I think the pacing was really, really, it was good. It was well done and it executed pretty well, but the pacing within the scene was off. So one of the biggest things that I'm going to do for the second draft is in, I think it was two scenes where this happened. I'm like, I need to make this more back and forth. And even though the things that were said in those scenes everyone including myself found very interesting and we were always engaged i was still pulled out of it a little bit by just it being a bit too much of an info dump and a little bit too much of i could just picture in an ed editing room being like okay we can cut back to her now she's still looking at him she's still learning then we cut back to this guy talking then we cut back to her She's still not talking. She's just still nodding, still learning. <laughs> and the pacing within those dialogue, those two dialogue scenes could be a lot better. So something like that where you just kind of need to use your intuition a little bit too and say, is this too much? And even if it's still good, like if 90% of it's still working, be honest with yourself. And if there's something rubbing you a little bit wrong, even if you don't know what it is, just explore it because there's something there that you can make better. I I think that that's like the the tough thing with scenes of people just talking and like in a room and usually when they're sitting like how long is mm -hmm. too long because you might <laughs> have like a bunch of information that that's crucial to get out for the story but you know if it takes like six seven pages you have to really ask yourself like is this necessary or am I just kind of rambling on like how can i make this mm -hmm. go by quicker or how can i make this shorter um yeah totally and and sometimes it helps to just do little things like changing a location you know maybe mm -hmm. maybe two guys meet in in the street and one of them has something really important to say and they kind of start talking but the other guy's like hey you know maybe let's go behind that warehouse they change location so they can really get into the details because it's sensitive information, like whatever it might be. You just do little things like that to kind of change up the pacing. Or yeah, totally. get them on their feet or, you know, something as simple as like maybe someone is going to say something really personal to another person, but it's happening in a very loud place. It's not in an ideal place, but they can't really get away from there. So two people are having a kind of a private conversation in an incredibly not private place. So you add something interesting to that element. Um, and there's some dynamics there where two people are going to behave very differently. And if you looked at them in the room, you could tell something's going on. And, you know, that can add some energy to your scene or change it in a way that's more interesting, that can sustain itself a little longer than it should. Mm. Yeah, and I think one thing that we should just touch on before we wrap up pacing, it's just the general pace of a script, like not the pace within a scene. Um, one thing we talked about before we hit record is if you look at the pacing of action movies, they do it really, really intentionally where it'll more than likely be a kind of action-filled 
opening like look at a mission impossible movie um the new one starts with ethan hunt on the side of a plane as it's taking off so they have this big action scene and then it kind of calms down for a scene you get a little bit of story and then they know they don't want to stay in that story realm too much so they go back to action scene and it pretty much flip-flops the entire movie action scene dialogue action scene dialogue back mm -hmm. and forth back and forth and that's so there isn't 25 minutes of action then 40 minutes of drama then 10 minutes of action then half hour of drama then the rest is action <laughs> the audience would get probably pretty bored from that now there are <laughs> examples of people doing the total opposite of this and in fact i think one of the best action movies ever made is mad max fury road and that is pretty much just a car chase start to front mm -hmm. or start to back sorry but you look at within it and they kind of follow a similar thing like there'll be car chase and even in the short dialogue scenes they're still car chasing but it's pulled back a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I think just within your your story, you need to ask, you know, how much of this thread should we have? How long should it be? And you can ask that for your A plot, B plot. And if you have a C, like, do I jump from A, B, C, A, B, C, or do I have two scenes of A and then one of B and then two of C? Just kind of feel it out, know what you need to do with each of those and always ask yourself like is this too much is this too little should i be cutting to something else mm -hmm. uh it was one thing we had to do for what we don't say when i was when we were writing the script there it's like okay you know we'll have a decent amount of the a plot which is ben and juliet in this love story and then when do we cut to the b plot when do we cut to the c plot and the pacing of it generally looks like you get a little bit of ben at the start then a little bit of b a little bit of c they're kind of even at the start and then as the story progresses it's much heavier on the a story especially into the second act and then we only cut to b plot and c plot every now and then because a is the most interesting and it's what we need to give the most time to and then towards the end they all I won't, don't want to say they get equal time, but the B and C plots get bumped up in time and they're more comparative to equal than in the second act. And that's just something you need to kind of feel and maybe sift out through rewrites. Um, how much thought do you give to this when you're writing features or even when you're editing them, when people come to you? Uh, usually, what's the writing process? Usually I'm thinking about how to combine things together or how to cut from one thing to another with as little travel time in between just so I get things more to the point you know the, just like as a rough example I have a scene where two characters are talking kind of political stuff and then one of them disagrees and then it cuts to like a shot at night of like someone um, going to his house carrying something and you kind of get the idea of what's going on but it's like very A and B equals C like you say the wrong thing and you piss off the wrong guy and something bad happens um, but there wasn't like this whole the meeting of like the assassins where they're like we're gonna kill this guy and all this other stuff happens it just goes straight to the straight to the point um, just as an example you know that could be one way to kind of do that but you can also combine scenes in a way where you know maybe there's a scene where a guy is chasing a cab because he left his wallet when he hopped out of the cab 
but at the same time his um you know ex-wife calls him and wants a divorce but he hasn't signed the papers and she wants it now and he has to chase the cab but also have the conversation on his phone where you could have had those scenes separately but when you combine them it adds like another element and makes it a little more exciting but also just awful for that character um Mm -hmm. so just like seeing the scenes you have and thinking about how can these maybe work together if i were to make them into one scene but uh you know there might be scenes where they they are fine just as they are but it's just another way to try to see if you could add an element of surprise or or change things up just to make the scene more interesting yeah totally do you ever get people that come to you like strict editing jobs you had nothing to do with writing or producing it they're like i need you to cut this together and one of the first things you realize is that the pacing is terrible have you had that happen Mm. yeah i mean I've, i've noticed like really weird pacing for sure and what do you do to try and remedy it? Just to, you know, build shots out more. And, and I think really it's about, like, making sure their transitions from scene to scene are a little more uh, smooth. And also that every scene is kind of built out to a place where it feels relevant. It just doesn't feel like it's plopped in there. Um, I mean, even re- recently, uh, someone contacted me to do uh, color on their short film. I, I just watched it a few hours ago and I noticed that the editing was a little kind of crazy it was a little jumpy and stuff sometimes but you know they're already going into color correction so I can't really do anything about the edits but I like I noticed these things and I think well you know there's some moments that I guess if you don't, if you don't shoot them the right way it's hard to cut them together the right way as well like if the angle is off or you know, if you're not looking in the right direction, little things like that, those all have to be accounted for. And I think those have a pretty big effect on pacing too. You know, if you cut from one angle to another and you see a scene play from an extreme wide as opposed to like close ups, it does change the speed. Oh yeah. Yeah, actually a good example of that in in my opinion <laughs> was that new lock and key Netflix show. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not gonna get into the whole show as as a whole but one of the first scenes is the family moves to a new house out in the country they grew up in the city and um the one of the first things the kids do is they go to the edge of the property which is this cliff and there's an ocean and it's played as a really heartfelt scene like you're supposed to feel bad for these characters they're going through this big transition and everything but the camera is always on this extreme wide for this, I want to say like minute, two minute long scene where we're supposed to fe- really feel something for these characters. And I remember thinking like, why are we on a wide for so long? Like, I want to see their faces. I want to feel their emotion because that's the whole point of the scene. It's a very emotional scene. And since we're so far pulled back, just being that far back made the scene feel so much longer than it was than if you started on this wide. And I get that they're going for the ultra wide so you can see the landscape and these cliffs and these trees and it's really pretty hmm. but if you started on that and then went in and cut into you know close-ups and medium shots and went a little further in so we could feel a bit more for the characters that would affect the pacing in a different way and to me it would have made the scene mm-hmm. feel 
better paced and just want to connect it a little bit more. So I totally get what you're saying about the way you're placing the camera and is it giving the right intention because it can really drag out or really speed up a scene in strange ways. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that's just, that just comes with experience and time. I, I think you, you need to know beforehand how you shoot and how it's going to affect the speed of things. Otherwise, you'll end up having problems in post where you might want something to play faster, but when you only have a wide shot, it's hard to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. All right, well, do you have any final thoughts on pacing and or montages? Um, I guess you can combine, combine the final thought and how, you know, montages and pacing they both play hand to hand I guess with like how a film feels like you can use a montage effectively to make the pacing of something go a lot smoother and and push through something that could be kind of boring to watch and make it somewhat interesting um, I think it's just about understanding the tools and, and knowing how they help you you know put together your scenes yeah, yeah I totally agree and I guess if I was to say one last thing, it would be like, just be as honest with yourself as you can. As much as you might love your own material, just pull back for a second and really ask yourself, you know, does this drag out? Does it need to be shorter or longer? And if you're really honest with yourself, most of the time you'll be able to come to an answer, whether it's in the writing stage or the editing stage. Like you'll, if you're honest with yourself, you'll know if it's too long or too short. Yeah, and I, and I think music videos in general um, help a lot because I, I've cut a bunch of music videos together and just working in that world you have to kind of work in the, the world of the montage because music videos mainly do just that sometimes where they're just a mm -hmm. bunch of shots cut together to music and you just want yeah. it to flow and, and tell the story if there is one or just kind of give you an overall feel um, in a short amount of time and that's a great way to learn how to do just like a, a classic montage kind of feel. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. Alright, well, until next time, this has been Filmcraft and it's brought to you by ACAST, aka Podcast Daddy. Mm -hmm. We'd like to thank the Supreme Leader for keeping us around for another week. Yeah. Alright, well, see you guys next time. Alright. Okay. Bye.